You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, I'm a huge fan of Lacrosse and their Alpha Burley Pros, but this year I tested their new Navigator series. And in this Navigator series, they have the Windrose and the Atlas. I use the Atlas for most of my whitetail season, a lot of scouting, a little bit on my western trips, and fell in love with this boot. Easy to break in, very comfortable, very waterproof, and it lived up to that lacrosse name. Lacrosse has been doing it for over 100 years, and the way they're going, they're going to be doing it 100 more. If you want to find out more information on the Navigator Series or any of lacrosse boots, visit lacrossefootwear.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right. We're back in black. That's right. Sounds like I'm, I can barely hear myself. But all right, so here here we go. Here's a question for you: Would you rather consult properties in the summer, mm-hmm. let's say early summer, late spring, or in the dead of winter? Dead of winter. <laughs> I see that we get this question. A lot. Uh, we've gotten it, yeah. it more lately. What's the best time? And the winter's awesome. No ticks and <laughs> the heat. And, yep. you know, so we consult all the way down in Texas. And so May may be brutally hot down oh, there. Easy. But it, it, to me, it kind of depends on the scenario or the place. Do I want to go to Minnesota in the winter? No. I'd rather go there in the spring. Do I want to go to Texas in the spring? No. I want to go there in the winter. Um, and so the reason I ask you that is because I'm curious because sometimes it's like, oh, it'd be great to go this time of year. You know, we're at a, uh, it's a slow time of the year. It's a, it's a great time of the year to, to see property. It's a slow Mm -hmm. time of the year as far as hunting. Um, so it's a great time to go, but, um, the, the only issue I think that we have with winter time is just the inconsistency of the weather. Oh, it's awful. And I guess it was it was in December, mid December. Kyle, Frank, and I we went to Kansas, but we were kind of ha- we had to travel through a snowstorm. I don't mind consulting in snow. That's not no. that's not an issue. It's it's just the, the deep getting snow there. is is a different thing. Like yeah. I don't mind a few inches. Like I like to see what our ground cover looks like. Um, so if it's a few inches, it's totally fine. But if it's 
a foot. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> that just gets, that gets really tough just to navigate and walk a property because that's the other question we get a bunch is how much do you guys want to see of it? Like how how in depth are you guys just driving roads? Do you want to see the property? Want to see the neighborhood? No, it's like I want to see this thing. I want to get yeah. out and I want to walk it. I want to walk out the points. I want to walk out some bottoms. That's the only way you're going to get a, a good understanding of the property itself. And being wintertime, you may not have to step on every single acre to be able to see it. Absolutely. So you, yep. you're kind of a little bit more efficient, I think. Um, yeah. I, we use Onyx uh, Tracker when we're, yeah. when we're Ooh, consulting. And uh, specifically mainly so we can track out the roads. But if, if we do so much walking and poking our head in that um, – I was using the analogy the other day that it's almost like we put a tracker on an armadillo and you notice how armadillos just meander and oh, wander yeah. and get lost. That's what our ends up when I leave. It's a zigzag blue line pretty much across the property. and uh, But somehow uh, it all ends up making sense in the end. Yeah, there is a method to the madness. Yeah. But so it's definitely this is, uh, it's mid-January. We're coming up on, uh, man, we've got several events coming up. Um, we've got the National Wild Turkey Federation National yep. Convention at Gaylord Opryland in Nashville, Tennessee, coming up in mid-February. Uh, we will be there. We'll have a podcast booth. Um, we'll be kind of in a in a. Once we know where we're going to be, we'll announce it on this podcast. They're kind of working through some details, but we're definitely going to be there um, in kind of a row of podcasting booths, um, so which will be a lot of fun. Thirteenth through the fifteenth. Okay, and so uh, we've got several consults lined up after that, yep. um, but February is going to be a busy month for us, um, but we've got the big event in Nashville, so hopefully you guys, if you're anywhere in the area, this is one of those events you you have to experience at one point in your life because it is 50,000 people walking through all thinking turkeys, and uh, it's pretty pretty amazing. It's one of my favorite shows, so hopefully you guys will join us there, um, and then of course... We'll be at QDMA uh, Whitetail Weekend in mm-hmm. March. In March. Uh, tickets yep. go on sale a little bit later, maybe this week, you said. But um, we we'll will just, be there. So just start planning ahead if you're down, in, well, anywhere. Yeah. You're focused on whitetails. Join us for the Whitetail Weekend at QDMA headquarters in Athens, Georgia. That'll be a fun one for sure. Oh, man. So it's been a super busy week. Uh, the last three podcasts are Two last week and then one this week uh, with Chad and I. Matt and I, uh, Matt's been traveling, consulting in Ohio and West Virginia. Yes, and yep. uh, covered how many properties? Oh, maybe five or six on different ones. So um, how many were uh, returning visits? Three, three returning visits and two brand new ones. Two brand new ones. So, um, and uh, I don't know how many acres that was. Uh, me neither. <laughs> a lot. It was a, it was a lot. It was a lot. And uh, so he's got several things to to talk about. And then I was on uh, I was on two consults recently. Uh, one this past week in Illinois, and then another one a few weeks back in Just Kansas. Christmas. Yeah. Um, and so uh, a lot, of, a couple different scenarios and things to talk about. Um, so that's what we're going to hit you with this week. And we are going to cover some of the talking points, some of the key points, so hopefully you guys can learn from these property breakdowns. A couple things is, as we cover such a large geographical region and range within the whitetails, what, what they cover, 
I think there's important to remember the similarities between it doesn't matter where you're at. Whitetail needs really a lot of the same stuff, right? It yeah. may change in this distribution or whatever, but a lot of the species are really pretty similar too. Um, you know, we can we can find greenbrier in Texas. We can find uh-huh. greenbrier in Michigan. South Carolina. Yeah. Everywhere yeah. we go, it's there. I, th- I think one of the biggest differences is keying in on the stressful times. Yes. Uh, during this in the south, our biggest stress period is heat of the summer. But you go in the north, the biggest stress period is now till March or April actually, uh, when you have the stress of late winter. And here in the Midwest or that mid country region is some years the the heat may be the stress period, or late, other late years summer, it yeah. may be the the ice in the winter, um, and so you kind of have uh, a difference in so our management and our technique and focusing in on what species or what type of um, habitat feature is going to be kind of what we key in on, whether that be woody browse or herbaceous cover. But then they're right there in the middle of the country that Mason Dixon line. It's like well we want about the half gamut. of each, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And super, uh, super important. <laughs> plan on one of them, and then if you get a whole bunch of ice, well, let's go cut some trees so yeah. we can get some buds on the ground, which is what we've been doing a lot lately. So, um, yeah, uh, really, that this is one thing that, shoot, might as well jump in and say it. Um, I ran into something uh, on one of the one of the consults that was a, a really good conversation. Where at? Uh, Illinois. Okay. A really good conversation about, um, of course, landowners in a great mindset. He's yep. thinking a lot about um, not only his deer, but his quail and his health of his forest and trying to make it um, as healthy of a landscape as possible. His family lives on it. They're planting mm-hmm. about four to five acres of pollinator blend. Sweet. They're planting... 50 plus acres of CRP. Nice. Um, diverse, diverse mix. Not just your big three grasses. No. Diverse no. forbs uh, in there. There were some forbs and some grasses, yep. uh, various types in it. Cool. Um, it wasn't as diverse as the goal, but right. the CRP contract required just these. You basically pick yeah. pick out of the five, and we picked the one with um, that met the more of his goals than anything. So, uh, anyway... Um, we'll discuss that later, but, uh, on this property, one of his big things was he had this nice food plot back behind his house that he was going to, that he had hunted on various winds. And there was a big section just South of it that, uh, that was, I mean, we're talking closed canopy for, uh, closed canopy cedar forest, monster cedars, um, to a point where it was like just dirt underneath it. Yeah. Dirt and and, uh, and needles. Barely even any needles. It was Jeez. just like the 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 crowns of the cedar trees yeah. were what had needles. Every right, basically midsection and low section was limbs. just dead just limbs. Just limbs. That's bad. It was, it was really bad. Like there's so there's so and I've seen this before. I know you have too. But like if it's cold enough, there's there's so much. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm showing Matt's picture, some pictures right nice. now where it's just But it's like, like there's so much oh. dirt exposed that like when it freezes, it's crunchy because you, know, you get the icicles pop uh-huh. up the first little layer. Yeah. Oh man. And it was I hate that. that. So here's what here's what the kind of the What's the, the thought scenario? process yeah. was. So this was a south facing slope. So an area that could receive great sunlight. It could be just phenomenal diverse grass with mixed shrubs and even a few scattered cedars thrown in there if you yeah. want. And uh it could have been a fantastic south-facing slope. Mm-hmm. He had standing beans just north of it in his food plot. Yep. And then he had this 
desert of a of an area that was <laughs> yeah. probably three to five acres. Okay, straight straight so cedars. And the mindset was, but a substantial amount of land for that parcel. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and the reason I bring this up is, it was a, the question of, yeah, but where do I send my wind? I always thought kind of, I'll leave that, even though it's not ideal. Mm. Let's. I, I was leaving that to blow my wind. That way, I knew deer weren't there. Got it. It was kind of like. Yeah, but what you you mentioned quail, you mentioned sure. everything else. You want you want to hold more deer. This is this is a, a very decent sized property, but it's not big enough to where we can say, okay, you've got deer that never leave your property. Mm-hmm. So you can't afford not to manage. Why it. don't we manage it? And yeah. and I think that's where we get a question. We get this question a good bit where people ask us, well, what do you do in acres that you don't want deer to go? And my thing is, why do I not want deer there? Like, I don't manage the way we manage a property. We don't manage the landscape to be optimal hunting scenario to where we let our habitat struggle or suffer or be neglected, be non-existent almost because we're focused on the reward of hunting. It's we're going to maximize the landscape. We're going to manipulate the habitat features to where we can have really good hunting, but our habitat's not. We're not going into it with the selfish management style of saying, well, hunting's first. I could do something here, but I don't want to mess up my hunting. Yeah. And so, I think vroom, that, vroom, chainsaws getting fired up. Yeah, for sure. I think I think that's a uh, important mindset that we don't talk about a lot, though. It's like, you know, you you can't afford on a property of that size and, and really any size because it, it is a neglect mindset of, yeah. of uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to put that to the back burner. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to do anything with it. Um, but that's, I think where the mindset of habitat management first differs from the hunting first. We care about hunting a lot. When yeah. we go to every property, we talk about hunting and hunting scenarios and setups, but that doesn't mean that, you just forget about this one slope, and you just yeah. you just don't do anything with it. But it's really funny you said that cedars on that south facing slope. How much topography was on in this area? You know, it probably changed 150 foot in elevation okay. from from the high point to the low point. Gotcha. So maybe maybe 200. I'm not real sure, but not a, it was kind of rolling. Yeah. Not too far from the Missouri River, but okay. it had some it had some rolls to it. So there was some. Well, you know the properties that. A couple of them that return visits of southeast Ohio and uh, western West Virginia. You oh, know yeah. how much topography? It's it's kind of very similar to oh, where we're at right yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. So pretty pretty substantial stuff. Um, but it was it was chilly when we were out there. Yeah. Sun was shining some of the days. Some days it wasn't. But um, all the properties have a really strong deer population. But we would go to an area over traversing the property, checking it out, reviewing it, marking some areas. But it became super apparent that on some of the some of the slopes south facing, just beautiful benches or beautiful points that are just so pronounced. You're like, yeah, there's ought to be a deer bedded down right there, and it's a south facing slope. But when you look at actually what's growing there, so so from a uh, topography standpoint, you'd be like, "Oh, I got, I got to get." It's great, there. right? Yeah, you go there habitat-wise, and it's just choked out Virginia pine. Uh. And so, from from that standpoint, it's really no different what, what you were looking at, eastern red cedar. It was so thick on a south-facing slope. It was so cold, like yeah. it was 
substantially cooler. We're talking easy 10 degrees. You stand there in the two different, you know, in sun, out of sun, very apparent that it's much colder. Absolutely. Same, it's like, same scenario that we, we experience. As soon yeah. as you step in it, you're like, whoa, it's, it's, can, can you guys just feel it almost like we open up the refrigerator and stepped in? Yeah. 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 Um, but and it was south like, facing slope. That, that was the point. Is like, guys, this is such a waste. Like, deer should be all over this area right yep. now, but they're forced to drop in lower elevation where they get a little bit of sun. But then there's other south facing slopes, you know, just around the hillside or or the other side of the ridge, where it's wide open timber, more mature timber. But that's where we're bumping deer. They're yeah. not in great cover. They're just getting thermal radiation. So it's like. Guys, imagine this south-facing slope with good cover. Yeah, and it's so cold. many deer are going to be this, here. In this scenario, it was like, well, if if it gets really cold, it gets down in the teens, and the deer are searching for south-facing slope to yep. where they can bed down and stay warm. They're going to have to go somewhere else, which totally. pushes them further away from the bedding or from the food, o- or off the property edge. That's what I mean. Yeah, because like, we're very cl- we're pretty close to the property line, and it was like. If if they're looking for quality cover in a south facing scenario to where they can stay warm during the day, that's not right here close to the food source. <laughs> no. And if we're looking for that magical December fifteenth deer simber hunt where it's snowing and you're in your box blind and they're pouring into your standing beans and it's two hours before dark, it's not this scenario because yep. they're having to come from somewhere else to get here. Yep. And uh and that's where it's like that's why you can't afford to waste good space. You can't waste space. You have to manage every acre. Now, you're not going to manage every acre every single year. Or but to you the same don't, intensity. You don't want to go five years and take a whole section of your farm and say, well, it's just not great. Um, and that's an area I really don't want deer to go. Yeah. It, it probably, and I'm, I'm, you'll have to back me up on this, but from – the podcast you and Chad just recorded from a fragmenting the landscape, if you're breaking it out into chunks, it's not like you're not no. going to touch that south facing slope. Again, we're talking prime time bedding opportunities, but they're not there. I mean, they're just, it's a, it was a void. And it, it got to the point of there are so many slopes and ridges and benches. It was like, guys, when we go over this hill, we jump out, we're probably going to hear deer bounding off or we're going to see beds. And it yeah. was just like that light bulb south facing slope there was actually sunlight that's where they were you'd see yeah. tails and there's fresh tracks and it's like as we have to have better cover on the slope we cannot avoid not doing something yeah absolutely uh, and that was kind of the you know he already had the mindset he was wanting to maximize the farm yeah but it was just needing to figure out how we could create great bedding without the <laughs> to where he couldn't blow his his wind down there. Because it yeah, would be a cold yeah. set, so probably a north wind. Right, right. It's like, well, what we'll do, I mean, we're talking walk out of his walk out of his shop and walk 200 yards maybe and be oh, in a I blind. Yeah. It's like, as long as your scent is great, you're high, it's south slope, we're going to close edge feather this whole run up sure, to it. sure. They're going to be that way. They're yeah, going to be further yeah. west to where you don't have to worry about that. Right. Um, and pff, super, I mean, just like <laughs> now we've like, got This is exactly perfect. what we're going to do. This yeah. is exactly how they're going to yeah. operate. Well, that's that's the, the funny thing is when you really start to walk and, and, and be in areas of topography, you 
I think we've made this comparison. I know we've done a presentation on it, but um, it's like looking at your your typical, let's say, crop ground where there's perfect funnels. There's, you know, everything is just laid out. It's like, well, if you're to kill a deer, it's going to be right there, right? Yeah. When I look at areas of topography, you know, say the more eastern United States, deer, just because you have a massive slope, they're probably only going to be working certain portions of it from like let's say traveling a to b it's not like they're going to be up and down this slope all around they're going to be on probably 10 percent of that slope to get from a to b and it's like hunting wise let's let's improve the whole slope for for habitat but if i want to hunt it they're going to be on that bench the only thing i really need to focus on is them and and make sure i'm not like boogering up where they're coming from with scent this and that because i can cover this whole slope by watching 10% because these funnels are so drastic and the, and the habitat, if you complement those funnels, it can hunt just as good, if not better, if you understand wind and thermals as Kansas or, or Oklahoma, it's like, it's pretty much, I'm not saying shooting fish in a barrel, but at the same time, put your time in, you know, it's going to happen. You're going to have a really good chance. Yeah. But I think it's also so tempting out there to, try and hunt all the wrong places yeah because you feel like okay I got big timber got this and that i can see so far i need to be there where it says really again to hunt let's say that 50 acres you really only need to be here if you have the right habitat features on either side of it Absolutely. just be right here yeah that's it and I, that goes with the question that i asked chad when we kicked off the podcast, uh, the other podcast for this week is, I think we kicked off the podcast. I asked him, "Do you think it's more important to have the food plot in the right place or bedding area in the right place?" Oh and yeah. We both were like, "It's bedding area because you could put a food plot in the wrong place, and if it's in the wrong place, two years later without planting it, grows back into old field, whatever." Yep. But you go well, into closed no canopy and you cut ninety-five percent of the canopy out, and it's in the wrong spot. You're stuck with it. For a, a long, while. long time. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> it's a lot more complicated than just going, well, we'll do a hinge cut area over there and a food plot there. Boom. Yeah. Phenomenal. It's it not, don't always work it's like not, that. It's not like that. If if you set it up correctly, you could have great opportunities to hunt the backside of a bedding area in the mornings. Definitely. Um, hunt in between the bedding area and the food plots in the mornings and the evenings. Hunt the food plot in the evenings. Like th- There's a lot of different ways you can – you can hunt one little area on many different winds without disturbing the deer. Yeah, that's so true. And, and it comes down to, so bring this all big big circle is, man, guys, don't overlook the odd areas on your farm, the dead zones that you haven't managed. If you don't want deer there during the rut, try to make it to where it's great forage, uh, it's great late winter food, it's got great woody browse, um, or it's got great... Um, herbaceous plants for late summer stress period maximize your farm look at every acre and figure out how you can make it beneficial to the wildlife talked a lot about out there uh, with several different landowners is just just the ease and simplicity of old field management and converting those acres Um, no it may not be a place where they're going to just dynamite bed in the winter time frame but you're not going to beat that vegetation during the summertime frame yeah like you're not going to be able to to replicate or put that amount of forage per acre anywhere else with the ease 
of old field management. That still has the the cover aspect. <laughs> yeah, of it. I mean yeah. it's fantastic. Learned that. Uh, yeah, with, with and the Hogan property preached it on this on this podcast, but it is that dynamic, and these properties are in and around that same exact area. You, you know, you can have that same expression right there as as the Hogan, and you may not have that many acres, let's say, but I don't care if if you're looking at a corner of a field that's three quarters of an acre, do it, do yeah, it, because absolutely cause no other neighbor's doing it. Like and I, and you, you drive out there, it's like, oh my word. Where's the where's that field? Where's the open acres that's four foot tall vegetation? I literally didn't see like any. Yeah, I I mean I I and I drove like I didn't fly out there. I yeah. drove and yeah. I can't tell you how many how many spots or or like it was just it's such a limiting factor. And it's like you know, why do we we're worried about like fawn recruitment and all this stuff and. and turkeys and you know <laughs> successful successful successfully rearing broods and whatnot it's like man we haven't we are just scratching the surface with the actual stuff that they need we've been so fortunate with with uh you know just the ability for these these species to to adapt to poor habitat and make it but really when you think about like booming numbers when do you see or where where have you seen a, a huge flush of turkey populations growing here in the last few years? Besides, take out the Wisconsin, um, Minnesota's doing really well. But like beyond there, I don't really know of any. But no. that habitat is so precious and is part of such a important time frame for rearing new life. Well, I think that's the reason so why that old field borderline. <laughs> Because when we talk, when white tail guys talk old fields, we really talk. We're really referring to weed patches. I, yeah, that's um, it. But even flip that and go with a more native landscape, because a lot of those old fields are going to be a, a lot more annuals, a lot more early successional plants. But yep. you could flip that and go into. We're even missing out on the grassland aspect. More perennial, yep. uh, established native warm season grasses, native cool season grasses. Um, that are in that same height as the old fields. And it's no wonder that, like, Southeastern Grasslands Initiative, uh, we've had Dr. Dwayne Estes on here in the past, but they just made this post, and it, we've talked about it before, but 3 million grassland birds yeah. vanished in, in one lifetime. And it's like, well, that's how quickly our grasslands are drying up and dying um, and and vanishing both with... <laughs> Uh, cities expanding, residential areas expanding, but also more crops, the, more pastures. The, yeah, the land use, right. Um, land use has changed so much. And, and not only that, but the, our native grasslands are now being encroached by a lot of invasive species, um, a lot of native species that are encroaching, eastern red cedar being one of the big ones out west. And so there's a lot of things that are happening, and, and it all comes down to we're missing that four foot to two foot growth I was gonna say, on our properties. Let, let's not get like, j- just just for this sake, too caught up in the actual species that are there. We could just simply go to say, there's not enough cover, regardless of species, from four foot and down across the landscape. I don't care if it's grasses. 
I don't care if it's cool season natives. I don't care if it's old fields. There's just not that, like, period. No, it's really, really short stuff or, or really, really tall stuff I, in, in the form of trees. Yeah, I had this discussion with, with a bunch of guys because one, one of the groups of um, – or one of the new consultations, which I thought this was truly a bold yet fantastic move. It's a landowner um, who hired us. He invited his neighbors obviously you know no charge nothing but he was like listen i'm an open door policy guys um this is what i'm doing yeah it's it's only advantageous for me to let you know so that hopefully this encourages you and educates you to do similar stuff because i'll win too yeah and i was like that takes a lot of guts to do that oh yeah but congratulations but this goes back to okay four foot and down Look at the shape and just like the anatomy of a deer. If you look at it, it's like four foot. Where does that put you? About chin high. Yeah. A deer can scan, smell, hear, everything above that height, but everything important is like totally protected. Yeah. It's like, uh, how how much more important do you need to put on it? You know, increasing daylight activity, food availability. It's so easy. It's just like... It's so apparent when you look at the actual just the body shape of when they're not giraffes, right? No, <laughs> I mean they are deer, four foot and shorter. That that's what's important to them. That's what we need to be managing and focusing on. And Lord have mercy, Ohio and West Virginia needs to get after it. <laughs> but and every other state that we've ever well, visited, minus too. Oklahoma, <laughs> yeah, and parts of Kansas, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, too, is just one of those things where if you really wanted to simplify it and just say, how can I make this as diverse as possible? Well, just take – and you had – if you bought an old baseball field or a football field and all it was was nothing, just look for species that fill that gap from two foot tall to eight foot tall. So go with shrubs that you're very tall – Tallest. Tallest. From like the 10 to 12 foot range. That's it. And then go down to your partridge pea or Illinois bundle flower, which is going to be a little bit shorter. And then everything in between. Two, three foot range. Yeah. And you're going to have a fantastic property. Super, super attractive to tons of different wildlife if if you do that. Like, I I know we've probably debated it and we're getting a little off topic from some of the things we want to cover, but it's like, how easy is it to take an old cattle farm? Or just a, a, a farm that's just open and make it really good. Oh, yeah. It's so easy. It's Laddie so responsive. Was a great, oh, great man. guy. Yeah. Uh, and that's a property in Delaware, Delaware. that yeah. he converted crop field to. Crop fields and to just divert everything imaginable yeah. was there. And it's like, go back and check out that podcast. Listen to him talk. Listen to Todd about uh, converting his pasture fields. We've talked about it. So I've got a all story. Over. We're going to tie this in now to where. So l- what Laddie did, he planted trees. Crep in, program. In a crep program that when you look at the aerial, I look at it and I'm like, 15 years we may be going, okay. We're, there, we're doing there might be a little bit too many trees yeah, here. It's yeah. starting to get a little close canopy. So property I worked in Kansas. Kansas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. So it's it's. Kansas. Yep. Now, granted, it's southeastern Kansas, Bourbon County, and uh, the the this property had 
and this all was these all, this was all done programs put in pre, pre, pre-owner, yeah, current yeah, owner, right? to where we have areas that could be CRP. Right. That are 30-foot tall pin oaks. Sycamores. And cottonwoods and sycamores. Cypress, too, right? He had a full cypress grove in Kansas. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, we were looking at, we're like, what in the world? And he goes, so here's the the story. The previous landowner loved trees. So instead of moving to a place that has trees, he tried to bring the trees to his place in Kansas. Did you tell him to swap land? It was like... (laughs) You know, that, that kind of thought to me, we've preached this so much. It's like, to, you know what? If you love quail, move to where there's quail. Yeah. Don't try to bring them someplace they're not. It, you're going to constantly be fighting it. So like this guy planted these trees, not the current owner, not our client, but previous landowner. Now he he's just dealing with trees. it. Now he's dealing with it. And he's going, I'm trying to convert forest back to grassland like it should be mm-hmm. but i have to go through and do all this additional work and expense to get rid of these in that cypress tree we're not getting rid of the cypress because it is a wetland area okay um okay. and it's really it's a it's a really boggy down yeah. area yeah. so it's like okay whatever yeah well, that's yeah. the least of our worries right deer are using it it's helping with this wetland because he would like to have some ducks possibly but that's a very small unit out of the yeah. remainder what was i mean we're talking Probably 50-plus acres. Oh, Lord. If not more. I mean, we're talking. I, I've got stories on stories of pin oak rows out through the middle of old field where you're like, uh, My well, stomach's upset. Right here's now. what's amazing about it. How old? So how the long contract's ago? over. Yeah, so he's free to do whatever. He's free to do whatever. So, now Kyle Hedges was there with me. Yeah. You look at these random rows going out through, and they're all 30-foot tall pin oaks which have lots of limbs which hold their leaves really well oh man it's going to be great instead of cutting treetops and dragging them out in the field he'll just be able to go through and vroom 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 vroom, drop them all covey headquarters boom Mm -hmm. woody woody structure right um so it'll be great it's like that previous landowner planted them going okay in 30 years this guy will be able to make quail habitat with these <laughs> now, he didn't have that in mind but that's no. what's going to happen yeah but we got other areas where complete 30 acre to 50 acre fields are straight Tree trees rows. in rows here's oh. the worst part the previous people uh a, a lot of the neighbors say that that was some of the best crop fields so it's right, like really right, good right, soil right so it was crops previously but um not sure if he planted grass and then planted these trees, but there's a lot of fescue underneath mm-hmm. them, so another non-native. Right. And now there's a lot of, because of the lack of herbicide on noxious weed control, it's like cerisa <laughs> everywhere Every, underneath. Everywhere. So you've got cerisa, you've got uh, turf grass, fescue, yeah. to cerisa, to tall trees shading everything out. It's like you start at the bottom of most you know, easy to deal with, and then you just climb a level yeah. of difficulty and yeah. crap and then climb another level. Yeah. Oh, and then we, So it's like, okay, so there's maples. There's things we can do right away. We can cut yeah. in some bedding thickets and make it great cover, right, right. great bedding. But long-term, his plan, he wants more quail. 
Yeah. And it's like point at the point at those fields and go, well, we ain't going to get them yeah. with that. That's the and white so, elephant in the room. So it's like, <laughs> okay, I hate to tell you this, but, oh, man, we're going to have to get in, take care of those trees. Then address Sarisa. And then we're going to plant crops to get rid of all, okay. the, yep. all the Sarisa, to get that out of the system for a little while. Then turn around and plant straight grasses, probably the big three grasses, and spray another round. Yeah. To give the grasses plenty of time to thicken up, and then we'll add more forbs and other diverse blends later into sure. that. But it's a long process, but this yeah, landowner's ready to tackle it. One of the areas it's take years, was unfortunately, but one of the areas was so big and vast that it was like borderline. Walk out in the middle of it, put a blindfold on, and go. Where am I? Where am I? Like, <laughs> like if you ever get yeah. out in the middle of a cornfield yeah. and you're like, yeah. I don't know which way to go. Almost like that where you're like, oh, man. And it was like, oh, man, 70 plus percent cottonwood um, where you're just like, what is going on here? Who What's approved this? Yeah, it <laughs> really was like, man. what in, what NRCS uh, agent approved this, man, this planting? Disheartening. And uh but you know what? The the landowner's ambitious. He's going to take care of it. That's exactly right. But it's right. just like, golly, I wish I was here 40 years ago to say, yeah. no, 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 heck no. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is bad. This yeah. is terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, um, man, landowner's art, he's still seeing quail. Now he's yeah. got like, he's got a couple of coveys. We actually jumped a really big covey awesome. um, while we were on the property. And it's like, there's hope. There's, they're there. There's enough hope, enough coveys to, to yeah. go, okay, we can do something. Yeah. But it's like, Five years from now, ten years from now, there should be a lot more coveys because we're going to take care of the Sarisa. We're going to get back into more diverse, like one one whole pasture field that was a lot of smooth brome and fescue mm-hmm. had been ungrazed for a while and mowed a little bit, but no no herbicide added. And it's just like Sarisa, yeah. so thick through it. And it's like we got to convert that to crop just to take just, care of it first. Just to clean the seed bed out <sighs> and yeah. then and then go back in and get what you want. Yeah. So he'll be planting some natives in the future and doing yep. some CRP programs and oh, Sarisa and trees. It's like, I'm in Kansas right now? Like, well, uh, what a time to be alive. Let, let's put that into perspective. There's a big slope in, in West Virginia on one of these farms that was uh, – it basically, it was old pasture, and now it had grown up um, back into some forest on some of the, the, the units, but it's about 30, 40 acres or so. It's a big old slope. And uh, everything underneath of it, though, is like 100% autumn olive. Oh. Like, so bad, you can't walk through it. Oh. And, and it was to the point where it, it's a steep enough slope that there's like one, two benches, maybe, and it was uh, Lander was was interested in doing some some logging operation on a portion of a farm, the portion of the farm. But there were still some values still remaining on this slope, and it was like, okay, we can't turn away from this just monster thicket of all You have to attack it. But how yeah. are you going to attack it? How are you gonna? How are you going to take a bite out of this and chip I away? Know. We're going to have prescribed fire. We're going to get Tyler Ross up there, get him on the radio. <laughs> yeah. Broken arrow. Broken arrow. <laughs> yeah. Bomb the place. Just bomb it all. Yeah. But it was basically kind of similar to, to your situation is literally this is a multi-step process, but we had to come in. Let's log it. 
which typically are like add more sunlight. But this is just going to allow skitters to get in, get those benches back open where a guy can can get in there and actually apply herbicide. Like literally, you can't walk, much no. less get a buggy or UTV side by side in there to spray and and address these things. I mean, if you tried to cut with a chainsaw on that, it would be horrendous. Ugh. And I don't mind cutting with chainsaw. So is it going like to be like unreal. basil spraying, you know, like like spraying spraying stumps and that and and fuller application. Oh my god! Working a bench, yeah, just kind of spraying on top and just yeah, try to get a fire to rain head, and, and head then, fired out. And, and then at that point, once he gets comfortable with fire after a couple of years, right, you can go back in because there's no value of trees yeah. left on that acreage. You can get more intense with a fire and How let that. How big are come these autumn olives? Pop, pop. Like. We're looking at the the stumps, like or the trunks. They just every single size you can imagine. Oh, there's man. new sprouts. There's giants. It's like so, the you almost are like, well, maybe the guy to buy this farm or the person, to, the perfect marriage of this farm with a man who owns a land clearing business that's yeah. got a grinder head that can sit out here and piddle for two months and just but, throw chips everywhere. But the percent on some of those slopes is like, I so wouldn't steep. dare. I wouldn't dare put a piece of equipment on. Oh it. man! So it's like you, you every every which way you kind of try to turn or like, okay, we'll use this technique. It's like, well, you run into this roadblock and then you run yeah. into that roadblock, and it's like, we're gonna have to wipe Elbow this slate grease. clean. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Unfortunately, but that's it, where yeah, again, you he's 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 like, if that's the way we need to do it, we're doing it. We're oh, gonna do man. it. Yeah. Which kudos to him and kudos yeah. to your to your gentleman there in Kansas that you visited. Yeah. It's not an easy road, but it's a road that you have to take. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like it goes back to that. Man, this is so much why I, I hate non native introduction, especially non natives that we that are relatively new and we don't know about. Right. Um we've been on properties where autumn olives were planted during the time frame when they weren't considered invasive. Right. And, uh, you know, they plant fence rows to to make screens or they plant hedgerows to, to make quail cover. Yeah. <laughs> like the perfect, the perfect tree for quail. Lots of berries, lots of protection, and grows fast. Ooh, that sounds amazing. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> yes. Uh, anything it, that it grows fast always good. scares me. No, it sounds too good to be true. Yeah, usually is. <laughs> um, Mama warned you about yeah. stuff like that. And uh, it's like, so... Cerisa Lespediza introduced under the, the mindset that this was going to be great erosion control, but yep. also be great for quail, which were declining at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a horrible mistake. Autumn olive will be introduced as a as a very uh, a native hedgerow that will be great for fence lines to, to not no, only no be great wire, for right? great yeah, for cattle. Great for cattle. Multi-floral rows, mm-hmm. same thing. Yep. Horrible mistakes. Um, and it goes back to – we're not owners of the land. We're just borrowing it from the next generation. Yeah, and so sure. do you wipe the slate clean? We've all passed. Which side of history do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the side that says I made it better for the next generation? Or I got selfish and did something for me mm-hmm. that the other guy is going to have to deal with. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I feel like that bless his heart. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't think what he was doing was a big deal. But when he planted all those trees in an area that should have a lot more grass, that was prairie. A <laughs> big mistake. Yeah, yeah. Huge mistake. What is that from? That's from. Uh, that's know. from a movie. I saw it on The Office. Uh, gotcha. Big mistake. Huge mistake. He made this. Uh, 
He went in and planted something that he liked but wasn't good well, for that area. And to where now, it's not even great for the deer because it's too thick, too yep. rank. It's horrible for the quail. It's not great for the turkeys. It's like, what What are we doing here? And, yeah, and it's, it's a, we even see though, that even though there's stuff there, it's a wasteland. Autumn olive drives yeah. me nuts. It's not great for deer. There's better options. Um, get it out of here. It's not It's not supposed to be here. Get it out of here. Um my the thing, the thing, I might as well say it, Miscanthus gigantus. It's just a screen. Um, it grows too fast. <laughs> it, grows, it grows really fast. Woo-hoo-hoo! Um, but it's it's for a screen. Don't don't try to tell me its habitat or does any benefit for native species. It's benefiting. It's it's, us. it's only for you and your access and screen. Yeah. Don't don't. There's other ways to go don't about. Pee it. on me and tell me that it's rain. That's yeah. what Chad says. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> The, the other Don't thing is... Don't give me gravy and tell me that it's jelly, because I know gravy ain't sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, like, the, when when going back into the, let's say, the introduction of those species, autumn olive, multiflora rose, it was like, what can I do? What can I bring in to fix this solution? What's and, the and easy fix? Yeah, exactly. But it's like, that's not the mindset that, that hopefully guys were, were presenting here, is the mindset is diversity. If you're trying to find one single species to solve a problem or solve an issue, you're going about it wrong. You're looking. You're going to have to look hard. Yeah, it, it, it's going to cause a problem because it's not going to fix the problem, and yeah. then you're going to. It's going to cause more work down the road. The solution is diversity, and that when we look in nature, that's always been the answer. Yeah, absolutely. It, you, it, it always if, has for if every you species. Find, if you find a species of plant that grows really fast and spreads really quickly uh, maybe it is beneficial to one species uh, chances are that's only beneficial that may only that may only give cover but not food so if you had that entire across the whole landscape they'd have to go somewhere else for food that's why diversity is key yes. because you can get food you can get cover for year round um, that's for year round cover and year round food just that's why diversity is a must we have to go back to native natives first and diversity now yep. sure you can supplement with food plots but you should be managing your property in a way that if you don't plant food plots that year your wildlife is still going to be just fine totally good yeah maybe you go on a mission trip maybe you get shipped overseas so maybe here's happens, my here's my call to action and challenge for you guys Think about your farm, and if you if you walked away for one year and you didn't plant your food plots, what would your deer eat? And and I'll say this: if your food plots that you walked away from that reverted into annuals is the best, <laughs> not saying that that's not good, but if that's the best, then you got a lot of other work to do in a lot of other areas. Oh, so bad. I, I'll use this. So I'm guilty of this. Um, a lot of times I try to maximize food plots and go try to make them as big as possible. Um, and over the years, there's been portions where little bitty slivers and back ends, little little coves off the food plot that is like, man, I'd like to get something to grow. That'd be great if it's clover. Now it's like, you know what? Dormant season disking, just try to get some forbs, some, some ragweed growing. Um, that's going to be better than some Heck. non-native that's growing there. Heck, I don't care. Broomstead grows up there. Yeah. I mean, there's no forage, but it's decent cover, decent edge. Yeah, it's edge, a lot better for right? quail. Sure. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that, you know, we're we're firing up the tractor and getting the disc, and we're going to do some dormant season disking in some of these areas. It's like, well, 
we need to we need to diversify. We need to change it. Well, and truthfully, you, you've you've experienced it enough where that corner, the the actual production is super super thin. Oh, it's. I mean, it, it's yeah, horrible. It's, it's not it's worth bad. your. It's not worth your time. It's not worth so putting fertilizer it, and lime else. on it. Not worth the seed. Not worth the no. time dragging the drill over it. Just disc it and call it good. Move on. It's yeah. fine. It'll be yeah. fine. And we'll do our typical. We'll we'll pick some bags of our. Uh, we'll just take some bags or get some seed from Pure Natives and broadcast it out there and and call it good. You know, yeah, just throwing seed out on the ground and and hope that we can get something to grow over time and eventually we'll get something to spread like that's how eastern gamma grass is on the old uh old orchard mm-hmm. food plot is we we had one native clump and we just continued to Picked grab a little bit every year threw it over there and yeah it, it wasn't like a crp field where we had a whole bunch of seed going to ground but eventually we got a few more clumps so let's just take it takes time to develop all that stuff absolutely you know what was I thought about it honestly on the, on the ride back quite a bit, and and in talking to some some of those those guys who were let's say in West Virginia versus Ohio, because yeah. because if you think about it, Southeast Ohio versus the portion of West Virginia where we work quite often, virtually the exact same. Yeah, the only thing that's different is, is the river that splits the two, and it's like one's a Buckeye and one's a Mountaineer. <laughs> but yeah. There's probably a lot of people arguing right now. They don't like that discussion. <laughs> I just had. <laughs> Let's just focus on the habitat. Yeah. Habitat is like the exact same. The same exact species are growing in the same exact ways. And the, the land use is extremely similar. But if you were to ask somebody, would you rather go and hunt Ohio versus West Virginia? What are they going to say? Ohio. And, and. The 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 important factor to take away from this is age structure is so important if you're wanting to grow big deer. Like that that's a big thing for people and a lot of the clients that we have. Guys, I want to see bigger deer. I want to see more deer, but I want to see I want to see bigger deer. When you look at these two states, one's a one buck state. One you can kill. Three bucks, um, rifle season's open. And I'm not getting into this big debate about what regulations the state could, should, would have, this and that. But it simply is we have two states, same habitat. Southeast Ohio does definitely still produce some really big deer. We've got people who are killing great deer there. And the same quality of habitat. You but they have more opportunities. West Virginia. West Virginia. In my head, I, you said South Carolina, oh. but maybe I'm wrong. If, it's late. <laughs> if those factors are the exact same of habitat, terrain, all this stuff, the resources are there, why is Ohio killing bigger deer than West Virginia? It's yeah. just the opportunity that there's more deer getting to older age in Ohio in the same ground. Oh, West Virginia has the exact same potential to grow the exact same quality of deer that Southeast Ohio is doing because the resources are the same. The age structure is completely different. Yeah. Going through chill cameras with these landowners like, okay, got it, got it, got it. That's where you're at. That's what we got. You know, We're searching for this. We're trying to grow this. Well, we need cover. We need this. Go to Ohio. Wow. It's like a reminder of just how important getting deer to age is. If your goal is big deer. Right. If you're if that's your goal, 
there's there's not really a a big substitute because some of the some of the properties there um, working in Ohio is brand new to yeah. land management. It's not like it's like I've been working this farm for ten years. Here's this fantastic quality. It's surrounded by national forests, which we all know. I mean, it's like pretty poor habitat, but still having potentials at 160, 170 inch deer right there across the river 10 miles from guys who are struggling to find a three and a half year old on the landscape. It's like the only difference is the age structure. Yeah. The age structure is dictated by can whether you pull West a trigger. Virginia? Yeah. Okay. Same thing. West Virginia you can bait. Ohio you can bait. So guys, number one, habitat is super, super important. But I think one of the, the second biggest things and, and Genetics got brought up. Oh, well, what man. do you think about our genetics, guys? I don't care about your genetics yeah. until until you have nutrition addressed on the property, and then you have the right age structure. Most people are worried about number one, and then if you, you have get a to high number fence. two, <laughs> and then you get to number two, and at that point, once you have the age structure built in and you have the right nutritional property, you could care less about genetic because it doesn't even matter anyhow. You're all giving the same thing. They're yeah. all they're all dispersing. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Just worry about the habitat, the nutritional aspect, and the age structure, and you're 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 going to have what you want. Yeah. The river is not changing the two opportunities. It's simply the age structure between the two states that's regulated by hunting regulations. That's yeah. it. So I don't care where you're at because we've been a, uh, a bunch of different take, places. You could take that same comparison with southern Iowa and northern Missouri. Exactly. The state line doesn't change anything besides the opportunity. Yeah, besides regulations. Yeah. You have to be able to, if that is your goal, resist pulling the trigger and resist saying, well, the neighbor's got to kill him. Well, uh, maybe he does, but maybe he doesn't. Yeah. What if he doesn't? You'll never know now if you, you shoot have, him. Yeah, now you have the chance. Yeah. And I don't, ca- I don't care if your goals aren't to shoot big deer. Cool. Do what you do. But if it is, these are the facts. Like, you have to, you have to be able to get them or, or, or try and work with neighbors to provide that age structure locally in your neighborhood. To ha- like four counties in southern West Virginia, you cannot shoot a rifle in. Yeah. It's bow only for counties. Studs. Horrible, horrible habit. I mean, we're talking reclaim uh, coal ground, bad. There's some timbering operations stuff down there. But, like, generally speaking, pretty poor habitat, mountain deer, studs. Yeah. And they're like, wow, they're killing them down there. Well, they're killing them because they're there. Yeah. <laughs> Not because of any other reason. Yeah. If they were here, you'd kill them too. But they're just not – you just don't even have the opportunity to yeah. because you don't have deer at four and a half years old. So you then take that into habitat too. It's like, okay, well, my number one thing is let them get older. Sure. Okay, well, do you want them to get older? Provide the groceries and the habitat that allows them to spend as much time possible on your place Bingo. so they have a better chance at surviving. Exactly. Rather than have to go to Tom, Dick, or Harry's property. Yes. During the rut or during a part of the season when your property doesn't provide that, 
and they get shot there when they're a two-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah. Tom Dicker. Harry's thrilled about it. Congratulations. Congrats to yeah. them. But if your goal is big deer, maximize your habitat and manage your trigger finger. The, the, you don't have to, like, let's say, practice to, to get an age structure. Don't hunt for three years. I'm not saying that that's a practical thing, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, by default or or just by being absent, you're gonna get older deer if, if you're not, you know, shooting them right. That's yeah. just simple. Yeah. But habitat, you gotta work at. You gotta do it, and the combination of the two will help you get to your goals a lot faster. the 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 thing about, I guess, habitat management is once once you have deer at like four and a half, and you're and you're average deer is 150 right yeah habitat management is taking that 150 inch average and moving the needle up to 170 to 180 inch deer that's the difference habitat management if you can even have age structures (laughs) right Ooh, those are some high averages let's say you have a 120 average and then you fix the habitat and you go oh now my average is 140 well, that's to say the the Michael Jordans, the genetic freaks of your yeah. deer herd, go from peaking out at one sixty to touching two hundred. Sky's the limit. We Breaking don't know. It. Yeah. That's why I always ask the question. Okay, well, Southern Iowa is known for giant deer. Well, the habitat sucks. So let's it's fix really the habitat. Great. Let's just go. Let's just paint a big eighty grit swath across Southern Iowa and say. You get a chainsaw. You get a drip torch. You get a drip let's torch. Let's Everybody gets good <laughs> habitat. Yeah. And then we go, okay, wow. I don't even want to watch those videos coming out there because it's just going to make gonna me s- mad. It's going to be scary. <laughs> There's points yeah. everywhere. And, and and that's the case in much of the much of the whitetails world is habitat's well, poor. Michigan, and we still Michigan have had a yeah. client this year shoot. A what was it? One fifty seven. I thought. Yeah, right, like right, at, right under one six. Four and a half. Yes, four and a half. And I live, or I believe wholeheartedly, that you typically speaking on just the whole herd. We don't know a buck until he's five and a half because donuts change that mindset for me. Four and a half. We know we have a pretty good idea, but donuts was a really nice three and a half year old eight pointer. A really nice 148 pointer at at four and a half, and then he blew into a uh, mainframe 11 pointer, 170 inch deer. Um, and, and you're by, saying five and a half? Five and a half. You don't know what he's going to be at six and a half. You don't know, but like I I grew up and I, I worked with Mark Drury, and then I've heard Lee Lakoski, and they've always said five and a half. And of course, five and a half is just a. I will shoot a four and a half. Heck, I've even shot many three and a half year olds and been tickled pink. Tickled pink. But you always raise the question, what would they be at five and a half? Now, I think uh, like Jason Brosda's deer, uh, our Michigan guy, his deer is a stud four and a half year old, 157. Oh my gosh, Michigan, are you kidding me? We posted that and people were like sharing it. I saw lots of guys from Michigan liking the page that don't follow our page. It was like, woo, you know that deer made some rounds to where people are like, you really kill that in Michigan? That and you can right. grow big deer in Michigan. Well, I, I love that property. I mean, that that's a really, really cool property. You know There's what that property of, has? Stuff and I'm doing. talking to our, our, our audience, our listeners right now. You know what that property has that a lot of Michigan doesn't have? I, I know what you're going to say. An active logging 
operation. Lots and, of timber on the ground. And and a client who is willing to eat a couple of tags yeah. and let deer get old. And older. Cover from four foot down. Yeah. A lot yeah. of it. He's got that two to four foot range. Covered. It, it, I mean, it's awesome. And you know what it's that awesome. client's doing? That a lot of guys in Michigan aren't? I know. He's cutting on them all and killing it. He's getting it out of there. Yeah. Waging war. Yeah. On Autumn Olive. There's so many there's so many good things I think um we could continue talking about. What what's some but, other stuff that kinda keyed up highlights for you? Gosh, the the need for timber work, truthfully. Yeah. Um a, a lot of a lot of things had just been abandoned. And, and it's and it's okay from a standpoint of listen, I, I don't I don't I don't want you to go in there and do it wrong. Yeah. Um, and they're taking the right steps and educating themselves on, on what needs to get done, following, following the plan, implementing the plan. Um, but, but truthfully, something's got to get done because yeah. previous owners, honestly, un- unfortunately, they didn't do things right. Yeah. And, and again, now it is your issue, your, your need to address. And maybe – Maybe their goals for the property were completely different from you. That's fine. But now this is a responsibility and it's time to address it. Um, but what I, I guess I found um, from a satisfaction standpoint or, or a, a comforting standpoint was there were some areas that um, on one of the farms, they call it their successional field. And it had like the perfect blend for the eastern united states of all the species that you wanted it's like oh. fantastic the, the guys take this and make it everywhere like yeah this is really good when when you if you need a a judge or or like a, something to compare your other sites to come back to this and make sure you get familiar because this right here, if you put this on, let's say, the interior versus the, the boundary of your property, if you have this type of cover and forage available, wow, you're going to be doing some stuff. Yeah. But replicate this, and here's here's how you do it. Here's what you do. Yeah. And I'm they're go-getters out there. Basically, everyone I talked to out there was like, man, I cannot wait. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. This is awesome. I'm doing it. It's like a couple of years from now, I wouldn't be shocked if, if some – cool stuff comes out of areas that just are typically let's say underdeveloped from a wildlife standpoint yeah underserved yeah uh, a couple main points for me highlights is you know people that typically hire us are really by the time they go forth and they hire us they really have the mindset of land health not just kill big deer now granted mm-hmm. A lot of our cl- clients have killed big deer and are seeing a lot of really good deer develop yeah. on their farms. Yeah. Um, that I would gladly just show pictures and say, this is what can happen. But we don't, that's not our focus. Yeah. A lot of our clients, so these two guys that I'm referencing here, they've got the mindset they're trying to do things right. They're trying to make it a healthy landscape, a healthy ecosystem with, with lots of diversity. So props, major props to them. And And those are two guys who have... Killed some giant deer. Giant deer, yes. Giant deer. Um, so I'm going to give a couple things that made me really, really happy, uh, ha- made my heart happy, is one client had in Illinois had lots of crops. Mm-hmm. Um, terrain there 
And, that's what makes and walking big, though, out. Right? Yeah, that's right. Crops <laughs> and walking out across this crop field. Um, there's elevation changes. Yeah, and you can just see the the, the, the roll. rolls yep. and every little low spot. You see a ditch mm-hmm. starting to form. And I say, how often does the the farmer like? Does your farmer do dirt work in the right, in right. the dormant season to try and fix yep. all this? And he's like, absolutely. My farmer's really good trying to fix right. that. Make sure he gets on. He's planted. He there was wheat stubble in there where. He yeah. had had wheat, and then he planted uh, double crop soybeans, and, and, and it was like, okay, well, okay. he's got some, he's yep. no tilling, um, but man, those ditches, it's like, you can do all the dirt work you want, but a lot of it still runs down, oh, and yeah. ends up You're down, still losing some. down in the, the ditches, Yep. and that's where he's enrolling CRP, so Sweet. it's like all these areas yeah. that were, high, that were uh, high uh, probability of erosion, yeah, yeah. he's fixing Sweet. And so it's like, him. well, you want you, you talk about seeing the covey quail as you're driving in. We're going to try to bring those down where they're catching a ride on your in the back of your truck down to yeah. your good habitat. That's, and that's so that made me really happy. Right there. So he's going with, now he's going to have that two to four foot growth yep. through a lot of his landscape, through a lot of his farm. Then he's going to cut cedars. So he's going to get that old field, that grassland back. Nice. He's going to cut in a bunch of bedding thickets. So he's going to get that young forest. He's actually going to harvest some timber, so he's going to get a healthier forest. Wow. Um, and then he's strategically placing food plots to make his hunting so much better. Yeah, it's like it's like it's he's like doing it right. Putting a cherry on the top with the, with the food plots guy. I got every other component every month of the year from for yep. all these wildlife species. I got them covered with this, this, and this, and that. And when I need to strike during October, November time frame. I got the little sprinkled goodies in there, and I'm yeah. I'm good to go. So the, the other client, Kansas, he's like buying a sprayer. He's yep. getting a UTV, yep, and he's ready to full fledged attack Cerise Lespedeza. Got to do it, and and the tall fescue. So yep. he's going to go around and spray all this cool season grass and Cerise. So he's going to spray in the spring for cool season grass. He's going to spray in the summer for Cerise. Love it. Then he's going to start edge feathering and doing lots of timber mm. management. He's enrolled in in some TSI projects along his river. So you've got wide open river, which is now going to be thinned and have bedding Sweet. thickets. Um, that bottom ground in Kansas can get wide, wide Oh, my open. gosh. Yeah, way too Ooh. open. And, and so he's going to be doing lots of things with a chainsaw and yeah. a sprayer. And, and he's really motivated to bring some quail back. So well, that's encouraging to see. Did he know that he had quail on yeah, that place? Yeah, he's already okay. got a bird dog, too. And so, oh, um, oh, nice, hadn't done nice, a lot nice. of hunting, but he's already got yeah. a, a bird dog sure. as a pet. And so sure. he's wanting to, to bring the quail back. So definitely. Yeah. And lots of bramble patches, lots of shrub thickets um, right. scattered around that he's going to enhance. Um, so the right species are there, just not the right composition. Yeah. Spatially. The, the, the ones that the right species are there, they're not flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ones that are flourishing Ooh. are Cerise Lespedeza. Saul. Really cool thing, property in West West Virginia. We're talking like center of the property, um, deep timber, some white pine scattered around, um, oaks, and there's right on this little point. It was one of those points. It was like, we're going to jump deer off this thing. Ready? Walk, I don't know, 70 yards. Sure enough, boom. We slowed down, and in the timber, there's two tiny little clumps of little blue stem. It was the only place he'd seen on the property. There was Indian grass on, on a field edge. Um, but little blue stem in the timber, like, do you guys know what this is? I'm like, I don't no, I don't think I've ever seen that. I said, just wait. Yeah. Start doing this stuff, guys. This 
this is what we want to see. This is like an indicator that there was sunlight here. There yeah. used to be sunlight point. here. Yeah. That was property been in Ohio. Long? West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. Okay. Yep. Yep. I'm yeah. Like, really? Yeah. I was like, so what you're seeing here right now didn't ever used to be like this. Yeah. Like West Virginia didn't used to look like this. That's yeah. so hard to wrap your head around though. Yeah. But man, those, and it's, it's like, so really you're going to tell me that little tiny piece of grass that's suffering and being choked out. That's how you know. It's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's how Part I of it. It's a piece yeah. of the puzzle. That's like, yeah, I'm right. I don't think because that's me snapping my fingers. A lot of times we'll do this work or I think it's it's like a, a watched pot never boils. Uh, a watched yeah. tree never grows. Uh, or gets cut. Or gets <laughs> cut. You just like yeah. you look at trees and you're like, man, it doesn't seem like it's really ever growing. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. if you were to go in and just take an acre and cut all the trees down and walk away. You could go and move away for a few years, come back. You'd be shocked at how quickly those – it looks more like a forest. Yeah. Um, than, than a clear cut like you left it. But you, but that's the thing of, of it all is you have to create a disturbance to see regeneration. Yeah. You can't just watch things that are already 60, 70 foot tall and be like, oh, it's just not growing. You cut it down to zero. Well, I think too, it's going to jump to three foot really quick, and you're like, "Oh wow!" If you <laughs> if you look at forests and and they're already stacked in too many stems per acre, uh, they don't grow nearly as fast as if you were to go in and thin that timber. Yes. Let's just say you you take a canopy that's 95 percent closed, and you knock it down to 50, and you yep. come back in five years, it well, may already trees. be back up to 80. Yeah. Because easy. those trees just start filling out and growing a lot faster. Because they have that sunlight and more nutrients. So. You know what we we don't talk a lot about on the podcast from a TSI standpoint, but in some of these areas where it was clear cut out there and you go back, it's like, okay, this was 15, 17 years ago based on stumps and tree growth and regrowth, whatever. You're like, not only is there competition for the sunlight, but do you know how much competition underneath the soil, the ground level, there is for root space? Oh, when yeah. you have such high stem density, there's so much competition underneath the ground. They can't even get the right footing to be able to grow and expand. So from the nutrient standpoint, it's like, guys, they don't have enough root space to yeah. grow. That's why you see stuff tipped over and falling over. It's just it's why You bad. see unhealthy trees yeah. and you see uh, disease and insects start knocking Weak. out whole. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, guys. Once again, we thank you so much for listening. Catch us in Nashville at uh, National Wild Turkey Federation in February. The National Convention, catch us at the QDMA uh, Whitetail Weekend in March. It's going to be a lot of fun Uh, out there. In Georgia. Uh, It'll be first time at headquarters for us, so I'm very excited about that. Um, We'll be be speaking two different days there, too. Yeah. So uh, Friday and Saturday, we'll be down there. Yeah, well... So, guys, um, also getting ready to put some more videos on YouTube. Um, so, go over, search Land and Legacy on YouTube, and subscribe, please, for us. And uh, I'm Pre- good. Appreciate all your support. We'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs>